0: The Agricultural Research Service has broken ground on a big new facility at the University of Kentucky. It's known as the Forage Animal Production Research Unit. For what it's all about, what's going to happen there, we turn to the ARS Research Leader for Forage Animals, Michael Fleith. Mr. Fleith, good to have you with us. Good morning, Tom. Well, let's begin with the big picture, forage animal production research. What is that all about? Forage is animals that we're going to eat that in turn eat grass.
1: Yes, exactly. It's really all about grass. It's really all about how do you turn sunlight into something you can use? And plants do that. Plants can take nutrients from the soil and rain and sunlight and turn it into grass. But, you know, people, there are limited ways in which we can directly utilize grass. But one of those ways is by making use of the animals that can eat it.
0: So what are the resources? Search topics that are top of mind for this, making grass that's more efficient in terms of having more nutrients packed in so there's less forage land needed? I mean, what do you look at in forage research?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of it as, as a triangle with the word respect in the middle of it. That's kind of what sustainability means to me. And so we want a forage animal production systems that respect the land and our natural resources and our soil. And we want it to respect the animal, the uh, evolutionary history of the animal, the animal's health, and the, and the well-being of the animal. And we also want the system to respect the people who do that agriculture, that they can make a living off of it. Particularly here uh, in Kentucky, where we're located, most forage animal producers are family-owned businesses. You know, we have beautiful broodmare farms uh, for our horses. Those are family-owned businesses. And then, uh, you know, cattlemen and goat producers and sheep producers, very often they have jobs off-farm. but They have a small herd of animals that represents their family's wealth. And so to us, sustainability includes all of those things.
0: And so the research then centers on what. specifics? What's changed here over a thousand years of, you know, goat herding or 10,000 years of goat herding?
1: Oh, a lot of improvements have been done. One thing is that animals don't migrate the way they would in nature, right? So we have to have uh, ways to maintain those animals on our farms, uh, ways that honor and makes use of their evolutionary history of migration, but find a way to do it, you know, in a way that it can be done on a farm. And so there are improved forage varieties, improved soil management practices, and improved animal management practices. One of the issues That we have that we can face is drought. Here in Kentucky, many, many decades ago, they discovered a grass called tall fescue that's very, very drought resistant. And one of the reasons it's so drought resistant is because it has fungal endophyte, a fungal partner, a symbiont that lives inside of the grass and makes it very resistant to pests and very hardy and drought resistant. But the problem is, is it also makes it toxic to the animals. And we didn't know that until we had spread fescue all over the country. Wow. It's a great turf grass, but animals have problems related to it. And so one of the things that our unit does is work on solutions to that fescue problem.
0: Right. So that a grass that can be grown and regrown and regrown in the same place with a minimum of water that can still feed the animals over and over again, basically on a given farm. That's the big challenge.
1: Yes, exactly. And do it in a way that that grass is not susceptible to insect pests and diseases and things like that, but also doesn't hurt the animal. This one in particular, the fungus makes a toxin that in impedes the animal's blood flow. They can't get blood out to the extremities, which becomes a problem for heat dissipation. So they can become very, very hot when it's not hot, and you'll see them standing in the water or standing under the shade and not eating, and it looks like they just don't feel very good. Uh, so we've come up with improved forage varieties that don't have that toxin, but then also ways to reverse that toxicosis when those animals are sick.
0: Interesting. We're speaking with Michael Flythe He's a research leader for the Forage Animal Production Research Unit, part of the Agricultural Research Service. Now, this new center at the University of Kentucky. What is that all about? It's a huge building that's under construction now. What will happen there?
1: It is a partnership between the USDA's Agricultural Research Service and the University of Kentucky. Our researchers have been on the ground here at University of Kentucky for almost two decades now, but we haven't really had a home. We've been living in University of Kentucky facilities and working with their faculty members who help us with our projects, but we're spread out all over campus. And so this is going to put us together in one state-of-the-art facility. You know, Tom, one of the key things about science or or anytime you're working together with people is having them together in a place where they can collaborate and sharing a coffee pot. So many great scientific ideas come from people standing around the coffee pot. And so uh, you can increase the rate of these happy accidents in science just by having people working together. And so the building is going to be laid out in a way so that university researchers or USDA researchers be side by side when they're working on the same projects, rather than separated by which institution they work for. We're going to let the science, and we have let the science, design, uh, drive the design of the building.
0: And will there be facilities there that a animal can eat in and that you can grow grasses in and this kind of thing? Will there be kinetic type of lab activity there?
1: Uh, animal facilities, no. Uh, the University of Kentucky has uh, several wonderful research farms. Those and our other partners like Kentucky Cattlemen's Association, they have a research and demonstration farm too. And the work will continue on those farms. This will mostly be state-of-the-art laboratory facilities. But there will be greenhouses.
0: All right. By the way, what are the forage animals. I mean, Kentucky horses forage, don't they? The reason I ask is mostly when you see animals feeding, they're eating corn out of a trough, and that's not really foraging, is it?
1: No, and and that is a very good point. Horses are certainly included in our mission. Cattle are a big part of our mission. Uh, Kentucky is the uh, largest cattle-producing state uh, east of the Mississippi, and we have the cow herds that provide many of the calves that might go out west uh, later in their life, and small ruminants like sheep and goats.
0: Right. So what is that whole issue all about then? Because the corn versus grass question. is an ecological question. It's an animal welfare question. It's a resource question. Where is that all heading, just out of curiosity?
1: Very astute, Tom. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Corn is, uh, other cereal grains are are, a great way to get calories into an an animal, but ruminant animals like cattle and goats, that's not what they evolved to eat. It's um, much more highly digestible, and sometimes it does cause cause health problems for them, and that's one of the parts of, of our mission, is finding the best way to finish these animals on forage on a diet that they were evolved to consume.
0: This is a really in the weeds question, no pun intended, but when they're eating corn, do they also chew their cud or is that a result of eating forage, grass?
1: They do, but there is there is a response to having longer stemmed material. You're talking about ruminants that chew their cud and so that's that they'll bring up a bolus of material that they've already swallowed and chew it some more. And really that's to make surface area for their bacteria. And so the first chamber of a ruminants digestive tract is called the rumen. And essentially it's a big fermentation that. And it allows them to get calories out of materials that we couldn't get calories out of, like fiber. So a human needs fiber and fiber goes out the same way that it came in. And that's part of the reason that it's important to you. But a ruminant can break that down. It's not really the animal that's doing it. It's their bacteria that's doing it. And so they make surface area for their bacteria by bringing it up to chew again. And yes, the, the longer stemmed material does stimulate them to bring that up and chew it some more.
0: Interesting. And how did you come to this type of work? Because it sounds like you have a real passion for it. It's not just a job
1: is it no I, I do I love it I, I, I raise goats uh, at home as well as working with with ruminants and horses at work and uh, it is a real passion it gets under your skin it came from my graduate advisor I, I came to agriculture through biology but he, he was a dairyman and also a USDA scientist like me he's the one that inspired me to work for for USda and really kind of ignited my my passion for agriculture
0: and the research that is done then in your unit and throughout ARS eventually this gets promulgated as advisory information for for farmers, right, to improve operations?
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's a two-way street. Uh, our researchers stay very involved with our farmers, with our farmer stakeholders. Um, I, I was in Henry County, Kentucky last night at a field day learning about fencing, which is a little bit outside of our mission area. The farmers will bring the research topics to you, and we very much are a stakeholder-driven agency.
0: Michael Fleith is Research Director for the Forage Animal Production Research Unit at the Agricultural Research Service. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: It's a pleasure, Tom. Thank you.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com federal federaldrive. Forage on the federal Drive, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership Podcast. I'm your host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, President of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking. Earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you.
2: It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was
3: leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms.
2: Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was
3: made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in
2: influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State. It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what
3: I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters, who were ten times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show